Hello, good evening, and welcome. I'm Simon Bestwick. And I'm Gemma Files. And this, of course, is No Darkness But Ours. <laughs> so, having uh, spent a lot of time last week discussing James Ishness and MR James, um, and, you know, basically the. Uh, uh the wonderful things that he brought to horror um particularly the ghost story um and how and some discussion of how these mechanisms can be applied even today um because geez they can um oh heck yes so um we decided that we would it was a very long conversation so we decided that we we would chop it in, in half, and this is the second half in which we go on to talk about what uh, the people from uh, Podcast to the Curious would call the James Bunch um, <laughs> or the James Gang. Um, but uh, I, I prefer to call James Ian's. Um, yeah. So, beginning with people who uh, were James's contemporaries um, and people who were directly influenced by him. Um, and then ending up talking about some people, some contemporary people um, within whose work we can see some uh, some traces of James Ishness. So we discussed we discussed a lot about James here. We've just we've yeah. touched on some other writers like, like Macken and Lovecraft, partly kind of in contrast. Yes. To James, we've talked a little bit about about Burridge as as another kind of contemporary. I mean. The extent yeah. to which you call Burridge a Jamesian writer is debatable. He wrote quite a, a wealth of ghost stories. Um, yeah, uh, um, but I, I would say that it's true that there are a lot of people who um, uh, who would fall into what the guys from a podcast to the curious who are, you know, wonderfully fun dudes uh, who have read their read and commented their way through every James story. Up to and including the five jars, this wow. kind of ridiculous fairy tale that he, ridiculous and and not particularly useful fairy tale that he, that he <laughs> like his niece, I think. <laughs> but um, anyway, uh, they they call those guys the James Gang. Yeah, <laughs> and um, the people that they've put in that uh, in that category. Uh, including all the Bensons, R.H. Um, Benson, um, E.F. Benson, and whoever the third Benson is. I cannot remember the third Benson. Benson might be W. Benson, W. Something Benson. Um, like yeah. Always had initials instead of a perfectly you know, useful. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, A.L. And Munby, uh, um, or A.L. Munby. Um, uh, Bolt um, and a bunch of other guys, and even even going up to Wakefield, H.R. Wakefield, who I think would be the the uh, sort of latest going of them. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, you know, much much like James himself, um, uh, they they don't talk about a lot of ladies on that list. <laughs> no. No. Um, there are a few. I mean. Uh, there was um, now there was a uh, I've not actually had a chance to read much of it, but there's a uh, mm. a collection called Randall's Round by yes Scott. Um, interestingly, because I mean one of the things yeah, we talked about she is quite amazing. 
Yeah, Eleanor Scott is a really interesting, um, a really interesting ghost story lady. I mean, she's she's sort of like half ghost story, half folk horror. Yeah. Um, but very much interested in the idea that, like, you know, something happened in the past. You are kind of doing this over. You are kind of mimicking it. There is some yeah. kind of weird um, sort of resonance that's moving backwards through time and, and you're caught in it and you yeah. end up getting destroyed by it. And half the time, there's no explanation for these things at all, which uh, I find, you know, I, it's like some people might find that really annoying, but I don't. <laughs> I actually find it really, really fun. Yeah, the world um, is it a, reminds world me a lot of, uh, place, you know, it's full sorry? of these, yeah. the world is this, Again, yeah. it, it, it's, it's going to almost that medievalist view of the world as a you know there's, there there is the world we 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 can we can see right. and, and this, this whole invisible world and well we and and, and this idea that crimes echo and mm. um you know which is which is a very very much a uh, a sort of theory that people were forming at the time about ghosts yeah this idea that you know violent things happen. And um, they leave a stain behind. They leave a. They leave an echo behind. They leave a, a crack behind. And you know, we stumble against these things, and we're kind like Neil was talking about in the stone tape, in a way. That's yes, yeah, yeah actually, very much like uh, stone tape theory is what people call it these days. Yes. Um, but I think when I first came across it, it was like the. Um, uh, have, have you ever heard the story about the two ladies who visited Versailles and at one point, um, you know, things were kind of hot and still and the weather was really, really um, clear and one of them sort of felt uh, a wave of fatigue and nausea go come over her. And as they and, and the other one came over and tried to help her. And as they um, sort of stood there caught in this almost uh, almost like a ripple uh, effect, they began to see people dressed in um, 16th century clothes or 18th century clothes, rather, you know, yeah. um, walking around. And they just assumed that they were people who had been hired to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but um, but when they described this to uh, to people who actually worked at Versailles, as they got out the other side, um, probably like went around to the to the back the back of the gardens, um, they were all like, "Madame, we do not know what you are talking about." <laughs> you know, <laughs> that you know, and and there was this sort of general impression that perhaps what had happened was not so much that they fell through time but almost like a fold in time yeah kind of flopped over them and engulfed them for a moment but they walked through it yeah so so idea of time to... is quite plastic as sort of as having a substance yeah, well, you know i mean you know according to physics time is quite quite plastic <laughs> yes yes uh you know it moves at a different rate depending on where you are so any of this might be true but it's yeah there is this real sense particularly with people like scott and um and to some degree with people like james 
this is something that James definitely, you know, I mean, I think he has more of an idea that there is, that people can create these stains by giving way to an evil impulse, yeah. to an impulse which they tell themselves is simply um, practical, but it's practical in a very Lewisian, you know, demonic kind of way. You know, <laughs> it's like super practical, super practical, like Jadis of Charn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ours is a high and lonely destiny. <laughs> That's why I get to, you know, cut kids' hearts out and dissolve them in. <laughs> yes, dissolve them in port. I mean, interesting, I mean, we, we, we talked briefly about, I mean, uh, that, you know, sort of he wants to do, his uncle wants, he, he's going to do something special with his uncle and how that's kind of like, has those overtones. And I don't know if James meant to put them there, but I remember watching the the BBC 1970s adaptation of Lost Hearts, mm. um, be a part of one of the first, one of the parts of the original um, Ghost Stories for Christmas adaptation yeah. set by Lawrence Gordon Clark. And of course, this was not and when I saw it. The the guy who plays Abney, uh, Joseph O'Connor, you know, he's this kind of whiter, and he's it very much plays up the sort of the idea of him as this love, while the lovable eccentric. Yes, it, right. He's decidedly more lovable um, and yeah. sort of abusing in, the, in that version than he is in the, the story. But this was not long after the the Jimmy Savile sort of oh, revelation. Okay. And of course, this was this thing. You know, people had tended to. On the one hand, a lot of you know the, the some of Savile's proclivities were were kind of an open secret, although yeah. it's not how much of a pret, how a, just how appalling a predator he was. But um, a lot of stuff was kind of I remember it, there was that this I mean I mean and in other figures as well. It was written off as, as you know he was an eccentric, which is yeah. in a way in a way that quintessentially is something quintessentially British. The idea of the the, the English eccentric. You know, yeah, sort of yeah. I mean, it's it's. I mean, really, the difference between your creepy uncle and your eccentric uncle is usually money. Yes. Yeah. You know. um, but I mean, it, it was very certainly. It was very hard to watch that without that sort of you know the idea of there being this sort of subtext of uh, yeah that that kind of subtext of you know, of, of 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 child abuse. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, he he is consuming these people. He is, yeah. you know. He is using them and throwing them away. Um, it's an abuse of power, ultimately. Yeah, it's an absolute so. abuse of power. But it actually, um, you know, one of my one of my favorites uh, that doesn't get a lot of play um, amongst James's uh, James's stories is the Uncommon Prayer Book. Um, and you know, I think it would be hard to adapt because there's a fairly obvious uh, sneaky Jewish person trying to make off with the uncommon prayer book. Oh, yes. That's, that yeah. Rings a bell. You know, um, yeah. yeah, unfortunately, you, you run across stuff like that uh, in stuff by a dude who was <laughs> was uh, uh, was writing around that time period. Um, and yeah. I'm not saying that there is none of that in, you know, Eleanor Scott or anybody else who is also writing around that time period. But um what I like about the Uncommon Prayer Book is that um, this guy, uh, you know, goes to this stately home, discovers that uh, one day a year, the prayer books are always spread out on the table as though everyone in the house is supposed to come together 
in uh, in this one room and read from these prayer books. But of course, there's nobody there. Um, yeah. And he's like, well, this is very weird because um, these, you know, this the day that it happens every year is not a church holiday. Um, it's you know, it has it has nothing to do with um, with the Church of England. Um, and then he realizes uh, because of a certain alteration to one of the Psalms, um, which is uh, on the um, the page that the prayer books always open to. So it's like we're supposed to be reading this Psalm. Yeah. And it's basically the Psalm cursing somebody, you know, it's wow. like, may, may this happen to them and may that happen to them. And may they, you know, maybe these, may they be struck down and may they, may they be, you know, burned by lightning or whatever. Um, and uh, he realizes that it's on Oliver Cromwell's birthday. So obviously <laughs> the woman who made these prayer books was a huge royalist. <laughs> yeah, she was just like getting people like in her in her household, forcing these people to get together every year and curse Oliver Cromwell, hoping that he would die. <laughs> you know, like, obviously she thought that this was a good thing, and she was, you know, and she thought that she was in the right, and she was using the power of God to. Um, to blast, you know, this usurper, this this king killer, you know, this yeah. this nobody who, you know, tried to overturn the entire, you know, monarchical system <laughs> of of Britain, and um, and yet what, uh, you know, what uh, what James is very clearly implying is no, God doesn't work like that. <laughs> You know, it's like you have taken the power of God and turned it into witchcraft. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's bad, and that's why your prayer books are haunted, and that's why a bolster falls out of <laughs> out of cupboard and you know and kills a dude who tries to to run off with your prayer books. <laughs> you know, because. That's wrong, lady. It's just wrong. <laughs> I mean, sort of 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 the sort of the James gang, other than James himself. Yeah. I mean, the, the, obviously he's an, a, he's a, a writer who's been much imitated. Yeah. Um, I think we were talking a while back about how we'd read stuff that was very Jamesian in terms yes. of its tone, in terms of its setting, in terms of its antiquarianism, but completely unlike James in being about as frightening as, um, you know, an episode of. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, actually, one of one one of the saddest um, moments uh, that I've come across recently was I, I discovered that Rosemary Pardo who is a huge James enthusiast and a massive James scholar. And I've read her writings about James um, had, had written um, uh, an entire uh, book of James-ish stories. And, you know, they're all very antiquarian in nature. Um, the main character is uh, a woman who goes around um, fixing stuff in churches uh you know it's like oh this this needs to be updated or this you know this needs to be cleaned this needs to be restored okay great you know and um pretty pretty well always there is a ghost that appears but nine times out of ten it's just like <laughs> there's this 
wonderful. You know, I, again with the Civil War, there's this there's this uh, wonderful guy who um, uh, comes sort of like hiking down the middle of the of the middle aisle of a church when she has to take down <laughs> um, a uh, a royalist. Uh, a royalist uh, piece of piece of something that he's that you know that he put up while he was alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's and and uh, you know thus disclosing. Yeah, he put it up to uh, he put it up over uh, the Cromwellian um, you know new badge of arms or whatever, and uh, to 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 sort of you know make make sure that people weren't. You know, giving reverence to Oliver Cromwell instead of <laughs> instead of you know the king, um, and uh, you know she takes it down. She because she has to restore it, and suddenly looks up, and there's this like, you know, this uh, sort of mummified looking dude coming down the <laughs> coming down the cider aisle, going like literally, no, 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 and she's like, oh, okay. So that guy's dead. <laughs> um, all right. Probably the best thing to do would be to just walk very quickly out of the church. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then tell the, <laughs> and then tell the uh, you know, the rector that probably the best thing to do would be to take all of the overskirts down and, um, you know, uh, oh, no, we, we can't really restore them. But I think really, given that Oliver Cromwell has been dead for a long time, what I can do is make you a nice royal badge, <laughs> new <laughs> royal badge, and we'll just put that in, you know, and then you won't have to worry about that mummified looking old guy who is obviously, the, you know, it's like, and, and they were all like that. You know, and, and so part of me would be like, wow, that's a really, I never knew anything about that. That's really, hmm. So, oh, okay. So sometimes follies are made out of living trees. That is really interesting. But that, you know, that ghost is not scary. <laughs> it's like, it's, and there was a ghost. <laughs> it's, it's not scary. You know? I'm not sure I actually really, I've actually found, uh, I've actually enjoyed it actually quite on the basis and uh, although he's often regarded as writing sort of mm. quite humorous you know like that stuff is um, Ronald Chetwin Hayes mm. um, some of yes, his uh, I think what part of it, of course, is the fact that you never quite know what you're going to get. Some of his stories can end on quite a humorous note, and yeah, some stories, exactly. even ones that seem quite daft and whimsical, can take a real turn. Oh yeah, hella <laughs> dark, like and, a massive turn. I mean, yeah. I mean, there were stories like the Coloured Transmission, which mm -hmm. has an incredibly bleak, disturbing ending, despite being quite quite it's funny. Kind of, ah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit daffy, like your weird uncle. <laughs> Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, and of course, you have that when you have that cumulative effect of, oh yeah, we used to we used to having a good. Oh, this is going to be one of his funny ones. Be, oh Jesus Christ! You know, nope. there's that kind of there's that kind of thing when you when you when you genuinely because with a lot of writers, yeah. you can hazard a fairly good guess by, by knowing it's a story by this writer. You can you, you you can make some. That's not to say there won't be any surprises or that they're going to be predictable, but you can hazard a guess at what at what you're going to get. You know, I think if anyone picks up a book of my stories or a book of your stories, if they've read our stuff before, 
they, you know, they, they, they are going to, they're going to like, um, they're going to be like, well, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not surprised that happened. And yeah. yes, I'm not surprised <laughs> they did that. And I'm not surprised yeah, she fucked yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've always loved about, about James is that he is genuinely creepy. And yes. he is genuinely, he, he will often give you like a genuine jolt of what the hell? You know, and so economically, I mean, yeah, Ramsey so Campbell has often said that what he particularly what he particularly praised James for was being able to suggest just enough to suggest be able to to describe just enough to suggest far far worse. Yes, um, which is a real, which is a very very delicate. Oh thing. God, the Magic Lantern show in casting the runes. Yes, which yes. they very rarely attempt to do anything with yes because it'd be very hard to incredibly hard you know it's like a horrible li- white flapping thing pursuing a, a small child through you and know of course of course this there's Dory a kind of wood <laughs> the intensely horrible face of crumpled linen oh yeah yeah but, uh, which just sounds like yeah okay blah and then you stop and think about it yes and well yeah. and, and it being right in front of your face uh, oh, another one that I absolutely love is uh, number 13. Yes. Where you get that very, you know, again, that slow, rather almost funny buildup of, you know, where's my door? What is, is this room smaller? What happened to the stuff that I left over here by the window? Were there, was there another window in this room? <laughs> <You know? laughs> You know, it's like, who took my shoes? <laughs> and 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 who is that dude who is singing next door? And why does he sound like that? <laughs> and it just like mounts and mounts and mounts until you get that insane thing of like the the uh, the hotelier opening the door that shouldn't be there, and you get just like a second glimpse of what's inside and you're just like ah god i'm i'm, I'm I, I can see a hefty a hefty rereading of my complete collection of jamesian stuff in the future yeah. incidentally one one way i mean of course uh, i have a pleasing terror which is the ash tree press's kind of complete annotated works which is brilliant yeah. uh but talking about i mean one another jamesian writer uh, frederick cowles yes. um is when i yeah, actually have you, a you had uh you had pointed me towards Cowles, and I read two of his books, really liked both of them. You know, some some stuff sort of goes in and out, but yeah, The Horror of Abbott's Grange and Fear Walks the Night. Yeah, yeah, there's, there was a complete, the, 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 Ash, again, Ashley, I got a, a, I got a book, a copy of the book from a friend who'd not been as impressed by Cowles and stuff, he'd find it quite derivative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there are obviously, obviously quite individual uh, yeah. elements to like his, his appreciation of Romany culture. He was quite mm-hmm. an authority on this, wrote several yes, non-fiction books. I really, really enjoyed. And there's a story, I think there's a story in one of the first two collections called Lady of Lioness. Yes. Um, which, there's another story, and I think it may be in the third collection, The Nightwind Howls, which you may not have, uh, no, called Machine, which, I, if I remember rightly, has a lot of common ground to the Lady of Lioness, but has a, has a quite, uh, a fairly explicit sexual um, undercurrent to it. Yeah, well, even Lady of Lioness is, like, pretty overt 
as to, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, it's like, I just, I, I, this woman is so hot that she made me turn to Satan. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. <laughs> Until you're not anymore. But <laughs> um, well, one being that we both had a collection published by Ashtree Press, in my case, yeah, before I died, um, which so far hasn't happened. Um, or or, or, or did it? are you talking to my ghost? Who knows? But the other thing was, because I lived in Swinton in Lancashire uh, for about 12 years, from 2002 through to 2014 when I moved to Liverpool with, yeah. uh, with, my, with my then girlfriend, now wife, which is awesome. Um, but it turned out that Cowles had lived there as well. He was actually the, he'd actually, was actually the chief librarian for many years. Um, founded, I think he actually founded the library. So um, I don't know where he lived in Swinton. It'd be really weird if it turned out he'd lived near me. Um, but he was, he's buried in one of the local graveyards. I did try to try to get down there and find the grave, but didn't, never, never quite managed it. But it was kind of weird. It's kind of like, okay, so there's this other dude who lived in Swinton who wrote ghost stories and mm -hmm. who's also had a collection published by, by this Canadian. What are the well, fuck <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, so Ashtree Press, um, as you could probably guess from the, you know, the fact that it's named after the Ashtree, which is another yeah. M.R. James, another oh, yeah. wonderful, wonderful mm. M.R. James <laughs> story. Um, yeah, actually, yeah, it's between it's between that and Lost Hearts for me. Uh, oh God, yeah. The um, but uh, uh, is a really good place to start if you want to find um, James-ish or Jamesian stuff. Yeah. Um, R. H. Uh, Morden's Nine Ghosts is an Ashtree Press uh, issue. Um, the Fellow Travelers, uh, which I had been talking with you about, uh, by Sheila Hodgson. Um, oh yes. You know, uh, which again is, yeah, pr fairly derivative, but it sort of um, benefits from having, it, it sort of benefits from having uh, M.R. James himself as the main character, That's literally the main character. You know, it's like, so either he's like, so this thing happened to me, or so this thing happened to somebody else, but they told me about it. And now I'm going to tell you. <laughs> and you're like. And of course, there's an absolute fuck ton of A.M. Budge stuff from them as well. Yes, absolutely. He was also, as well as being a very good writer of ghost stories. Who's he was the also guy who did The Night Comes On? Oh, Steve Duffy. Now, yes, he's one of the, Steve he's Duffy. Um, the modern practitioner of, I mean, he writes some very, he's written very good Jamesian stuff and he's written but he's also written he can also write he also writes stuff that you know is way beyond Jamesian pastiche again yes, most absolutely of absolutely but as a, as a modern uh, as a modern practitioner of uh, James-ish stuff yeah perfect yeah really Steve really good really um the other person is Reggie Oliver um, yes and well, I mean Reggie has got there's a really there's something about Reggie's work which is very much his own there is something oh yeah there. there was something <laughs> well, of Aikman, um, he was yes. a very different, um, yeah, very different in his approach and his view of things. Uh, I mean, of course, Reggie does come from a similar background, Oxford and Eton, which is not something you is not something you find in many in many contemporary writers. But yeah, as that's course, true. Also... But he also comes out of theatre, yes. which is really interesting for me because um, my my parents are both actors and. Uh, so, you know, there's there's this there's this thing of 
backstage life and touring yeah. and performance that Reggie Oliver understands beautifully and he brings yeah. across beautifully. And um, yeah, you know, it's like his stuff resonates with all sorts of really interesting with all sorts of really interesting motifs, you know, it's like sometimes yeah. it goes a little too far in that direction. Like that one story that he did, which is nothing but, you know, the script of a mask, <laughs> you know, <Yes. laughs> written right. in perfect, you know, uh, 1600s or early 1700s, you know, kind of lingo. And you're like, a- I sort of get what you're getting at, but I'm not absolutely sure and I'm not sure I care. <laughs> There's a wonderful one called the Blue Room about some chap who's got. Is that there's like a room in them, in the uh, in this particular um, house in this chap's house, which turns out to basically drive any woman who goes in there completely mad with lust. So yes. the guy will arrange it for it as the guest bedroom for any any guest he particularly fancies, um, yes. and will then um, so he can enjoy himself. And he's trying to arrange one young girl, one girl to stay there, but. Um, there's this woman, I think she's based on, it might be based on Princess Margaret, the Queen's sister. Yes, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's like the younger version. She's a, she's a quite a, a quite forceful and domineering woman who gets about two bottles of whiskey, a very expensive whiskey a day. Um, but when he goes into the, the place, he gets a sort of, he, he, he the lights are off, but he basically gets nearly bonked to death by the woman who's in there. And then makes him realise at breakfast the next day that it wasn't the girl he was hoping to seduce, but it was actually the, the princess who says, yes, the, that young girl, she's very sweet, you know. Um, uh, she's also my niece. Let that be a lesson to you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a wonderful ending. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, you know, it's like there's there's these moments of tweeness, and mm. then there's these moments of absolute bleakness. Mm. Uh, yes. you're, you're, like like the guy who's um, who escapes death by ending up in one of his own paintings, and it's a it's sort of a painting of heaven, but or or his idea of heaven, but it's but it's actually the most bleak, awful nothingness. <laughs> There's a story called Charm, which is yeah. remarkable. Um, the guy and his wife book into some. Um, place in the get, rent a cottage and there's a chap who's like a neighbor and he has this this you know sort of uh very sort of superficial kind of charm but he's very much somebody who has regularly he just basically uses and exploits people that mm-hmm. right and center and it, it, it emerges into a sort of supernatural denouement of a really genuinely very disturbing kind um yes i've had I forget the details. I just remember the kind of feeling of that I was kind of left with at the, at the ending of that story. So Reggie Oliver definitely needs to be read. Yes. Although yeah. he's he's very again he is very 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 distinctively his own kind yeah, of very distinctively his own kind of thing. But it, he's still got that definitely that crossover of mm-hmm. sort of spiritual weirdness and a sense that things can go wrong and when they start to go wrong you've got to course correct because they will just keep going wrong and they will go wrong to to such an extent that it's almost like you'll destroy your own idea of the universe The, the universe around you will collapse it will start to collapse you know which is not you know it's a it's further than james would go but you get the feeling that if james had lived a little 
a little longer, you might have ended up <laughs> moving moving towards that. Yeah. You know? I mean, of other sort of contemporary, I mean, do you think with Mich Michelle Paver, we were talking about her in the last... Oh, yeah, uh, no. Michelle Paver is, has strong, strong M.R. James moments. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, in the same way that, uh, oh, God, something I was, uh, okay, you know, it's very easy to see, you know, antiquarian stuff in The Devil's Art by Stephen Bywater, right, where it's like literally built around an archaeological dig. Um, but sometimes you can even see M.R. Jamesian currents oh, in yeah. things like The White Road by uh, Sarah Lotz, which... She's absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah, she is quite brilliant. She is really brilliant. And I, I, wish, I wish she would do more of the books that she was, that she was doing for a while. You know, um, Day Four and The Three oh, and, and The White Road, which I, you know, I, I wasn't in... I wasn't completely satisfied with the first time that I read it and now I'm rereading it and realizing that I missed a whole lot of stuff. I missed a whole lot of resonance. Um, but she is extremely good at setting up sort of narratives that comment on each other and yeah. they're running side by side, but they're actually separated temporally in a very in in a way that you don't realize at first. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And Absolutely. and again, a lot about repetition, a lot about um, resonance, a lot about there's a stain and you fell into it. You know, yeah. there's a there's a crack and you somehow, you know, you got down there, you know, it's like and oh, man, all you wanted was to get something cool to put on a website. And I know, I know. I mean, other other sort of, I mean, I've mentioned Robert Westall, although he's been dead for some years now, mm -hmm. as well as Antique Dust. There's a number of the stuff he's, he's written for younger writers. I mean, uh, Blackham's Wimpy is one of the most original uh, <laughs> stories about a haunted, a haunted World War II bomber. Nice. It's in his collection Break of Dark, which is a okay. hell, of a good, hell of a good title. Break but I mean, uh, he, um, Westall served in Bomber Command during the Second World War. So okay. he knew very much what whereof he spoke. He'd been in one of these bloody things. Uh, Wimpy was the nickname given mm. to a Wellington bomber named after the character from the Popeye strips, Jay Wellington Wimpy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, yeah, uh, it's a real. Essentially, what happens in that particular story is um, the crew of this bomber um, are on a flight raiding Germany. There's as another wimpy, another Wellington, which is flown by Flight Sergeant Blackham, who's an arsehole that they don't like, um, mm. who shoots, they shoot, who's, who's attacked, nearly attacked by a, by a German night fighter, managed mm. to shoot the night fighter, but the night fighter catches fire, the pilot is screaming in agony, and basically it takes a, a minutes, long minutes, which feel like an eternity mm. for the plane to finally explode, and all the time the, 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 the intercom's locked open and they can hear the pilot screaming and cursing as he's oh burned to death. And then uh. what happens is every time somebody takes Black and Wim Blackham's Wimpy out, they basically it happens again. The 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 guy's death replays itself coming out of the out of the, the the radio, or if you shut off the radio, it's like vibrating from the very framework of it. And basically any crew who go out with it uh either go mad or commit suicide or or die on the next mission, basically. Mm -hmm. Um you know, somebody comments this bloody German pilot's going to kill more people dead than he ever managed in life. Um, 
it's a remarkably original um, yeah. concept. And and again, it's a setting that the author knew very well in a way that very few other writers of ghost stories would have and was yes. able to bring to life. Which is so, always so again, we're, we're talking about palpability. We're talking about yeah. that, you know, and, and I think that, you know, it's like, um, James and Jamesians in general, I think, get a, a bad rap because it's it's like, oh, it's 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 always the same sort of person doing the same sort of thing, you know. Um, but it's that stability and that continuity that builds a world that persuades you. Yes. And, you know, and then once you're persuaded, you can go in very weird directions. Yeah, I mean, I think the fundamental, the fundamental Jamesian thing is you establish a world, you establish a milieu, which is very real, which is palpable and which the reader can immediately recognize and kind of orientate themselves in. And exactly. Then, Even if it's not familiar to them. Yeah. You, they are they are persuaded. They are, exactly. you know. And they're rooted in that place and they're like, oh, OK, all right. Yeah. You know, this obviously exists. And that and that very much has been the way that I've always tried to write ghost stories and to write stories of the strange. Um, more and more, uh, I don't tend to do um, as much straight up fantasy as I used to or, you know, dark fantasy, obviously, but <laughs> it's always dark. But, you know, it's like, you know, stuff like where I'm, I'm writing about you know, things that I've never done, places I've never been, you know, kind the kind of person I've never been. I try to find something in there which is like a kernel of real experience. Oh, yeah. To provide the grit that you build like, the pearl from. It's very much, I think, and I have, I do something, I'm, I'm, I think, I think in very many ways, I, I trained as an actor when I was younger. So you were talking about your parents being actors. And I think that's very much how the actor works. On the, on the outside, you're looking at the, you're looking at the, the, the different stuff, the stuff that distinct, that makes this person different from you. But yeah. on the inside, you're looking for the point of connect, that point of connection, because nothing, you know, that thing, it's that quote, nothing human is alien to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And and you 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 don't want to be I mean but one of the weird things that I noticed about, you know, sort of older older stage actors, people like Lawrence, Sir Lawrence Olivier, you know, um it was almost like he couldn't trust himself to produce a character without having to come from the outside in. Yes. You know, yes. it's like, no, 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 this is this is different because I have a page boy haircut and, you know, and a fake nose. And you know? yeah, they build, he build the character. Yeah. Um, yeah. On top of you. Whereas, you know, the thing that we're more used to these days is that you go inside of yourself and you find the parts of you that are congruent. Well, with reading, um, reading Simon Allo's book, being an actor, yes. uh, which is a brilliant Brilliant one. I mean, that's in Year of the King by the late Anthony Cher. Where yes, yes. I was, and I was, yeah, I was thinking was, about that because, of course, I was thinking about Richard III. Um, yeah, there's that, there's that whole kind of, but he, he was saying that, um, whereas you know, Olivier was, you know, the, a genius of the makeup book, box and could construct that, but he said, uh, I sort of go for, I tell myself, rarely rather than, I, but instead of looking at what Lawrence Olivier would do, I would look at uh, Alec Guinness. And yeah. Guinness is a fantastic, I mean, there was, somebody was, I can't remember who who said there was another another actor who was um, 
who I, I think got one of their first, you know, sort of TV roles through Guinness. This was uh, not long after Star Wars had come out, and he sort mm. of and Guinness said, "Well, let's go out for dinner." So, so when you, when you get recognised, oh, not at all. Don't worry. And he said, "He just the guy. He just turned around, just put his coat and turned around. And when he looked up, it was just like the most." There was this bland, blank bank clerk looking back. He just found that internally. And if you've ever seen the BBC version of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, yes, which is just brilliant. Yes. And in that first episode, of course, he's this sort of uh, because, of course, one of the great ironies is George Smiley is the he's the opposite of Bond. He's he's completely useless with the ladies. You know, his mm-hmm. wife is it's a running thing that his wife is basically carrying on multiple, you know, his bonking pretty much anyone in sight kind of thing. And Except for people, him, he, yeah. yeah. Um, she sort of says at the end of the final one, poor George, life's such a mystery to you, isn't it? Um, he's very good at this one kind of thing. But, you know, he's all through that first episode. He's this, you know, rather patient, rather put upon a sort of, yes, yes, old chap, you know, sort of a sort of weary, slightly regretful chuckle. And then finally, they bring him in to interview Howard Bennett's character, mm-hmm. uh, Ricky Tarr. And it's like he sort of says, now then. And so after, after an awful lot of, you know, Tarr being and asks, he says, now, polishes his glasses and puts them on. Let's begin. And his face, when he puts the glasses on and looks up, is absolutely different. All yes. of the incision is gone. All of the, instead, it is this very sort of cold, determined, you know, unblinking stare. It's, 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 it's an almost physical transformation from mm-hmm. someone, from between, from one kind, one mode of character to another. Um, and that's just, you know, that is just phenomenal. That's why he was such a phenomenal, phenomenal actor. But yeah, the, the acting, I mean, for me, they say, right, well, you know, I cannot, I find the whole idea that I should just be writing, you know, about people like myself. <laughs> Fuck that. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I very much used to be uh, completely, you know, my mother would say, uh, why don't you write what you know? And I'd be like, oh, I don't want to write a fucking Oprah book. Yeah, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, the funny part is that various bits of what would be my Oprah book, which would be, you know, growing up in the 70s in Toronto as, you know, the child of a of a actress single mother and dealing, you know, dealing with the fact that I didn't understand other kids and that I... And, and that adults could, could not be relied upon. And it wasn't until yeah. I looked back much later that I went, oh, that's because they were all fucking drunk and on drugs. Because it was the yeah. 70s. <laughs> they, were, you know, they were screwing each other and, and exploring their, you know, their ids, <laughs> you know, and taking the ass. It's richer in retrospect. And at, but at yeah. the time, I mean, I had a very, I grew up in a very boring suburban uh setting which on the one hand is kind of like where you would want your kids to grow up in the sense that it's a pretty safe environment although there were still there was still you know shit that happened to me that was uh traumatizing on one level or another but you know you try and escape that whenever you go yeah but you know for me a big part of the appeal of fiction and of writing to at the very beginning was to get away from the boring and the mundane and to uh you know much more into something that was much more exciting and exalted and yes exactly so you know but the great part is that if you're writing horror all you have to do is add horror (laughs) well you know it's sort of like my life except ghosts 
Yeah. It's sort of like my, you know, it's sort of like this thing that I did, except instead of it just being a super creepy apartment that I had to look after for a while, it's it's actually super creepy because there's a dimensional rift inside of it. And oh, yes. Falling the in there. Jesus Christ, that story is that story is fucking disturbing. Um. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad. Yeah, a lot of people have told me that the Puppet Motel is disturbing. And uh, man, I'm, you know, I really wish I could have taken some of that room tone and and played it for people because i still one of the highest scholars i when i first met um linda rocker fantastic yeah. another fantastic writer um was she was like I, your name i know it from somewhere in, in a good way and i was thinking oh good mm-hmm. no you know not, not crime watch then um sort of whether where, where would i have been he said well i did this and i had a story um that was in um a pendragon press anthology it was printed in best horror of the years called the narrows you wrote the narrows i'm like ah! You gave me nightmares for a week. I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> That's the best. That's the absolute best. And you can't do that unless you do the Mr. James thing. Unless you, yeah. you know, unless you bring people in. And, you know, it's all uh, bad hotels and golf and, you know, people being kind of annoying to each other and... You know, and then suddenly you just find this whistle under all this shale and you blow it like a dick. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't, you don't, you doesn't blow it quite like a dick. Yeah, no, but you but, blow it like you are a dick. Yes, I know. <laughs> you yes. blow it like a dick, you'd be sucking. Well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, on the subject of all, modern... Always fun, always fun. <laughs> on the subject of modern practitioners, um, Jonathan Acliffe. Um, Yes. Definitely got to mention that yeah, guy. Jonathan Acliffe um, actually does a super Mr. James thing because he's very good at writing in. Um, he's he's very good at writing historical horror. He's very good at writing yeah. in a different time period, but he can also be completely contemporary, like with The Lost, um, yes. and still. The, the the last is not only completely contemporary; it's done epistolary style. Yeah, it is. It is <laughs> so kind of like a yes, yeah, kind of like a found footage <laughs> found footage narrative, and um and he manages to make it you know just M R James to the nth degree. But I mean, I mean, we're thinking again of thinking, say, of Naomi's room and yeah, the oh, that, which is savagely brutal. Oh, I mean, sa- yeah, it is absolutely savage. And, James you know, when you talk about creepy sexual stuff going on, yeah. and, you know, this is the kind of thing that James would never, ever touch with a 10-foot pole. Oh, God, it, yeah. Not, <laughs> not, not just because of the heterosexuality, but, you know, but also just because it would never occur to him. Yeah. He would Although, be, I mean, oh, no. <laughs> whereas, I mean, whereas Acliffe is taking, like, all of James's, you know, um, his kit bag and applying yeah. it to. <laughs> I mean, there's also, he wrote, he wrote The Matrix, which um, I, I think is kind of. It's kind of like an almost Weekly-esque, that one. I was kind of going to Dennis Weekly territory. It's, but, it's Weekly-esque, oh, but it's also very Lovecraftian. Yes. And Jamesian. <laughs> Le- Jamesian and Lovecraftian and Wheatley-esque at the same time. Yeah. I mean, there's just this, ah, uh, this terrible sense of there's nothing you could have done. Yeah. 
was nothing you could have done. Everything you were fucked before you left. <laughs> and it's very much that sense that some things are there are really things worse than death. Yeah. Out there, and yeah. you are very close. And you know, you don't necessarily have to have done anything wicked or sinful in the Christian sense to fall prey to it. If just you know the yeah. The, yeah. the warlock in the in uh, in the in the black magician, say whatever you want to call him, in the the matrix takes a dislike to you. He can he can fuck you up beyond the grave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another really good one, actually, is the A Garden Lost in Time, one of his most recent. Yes, yeah, I finally got a hold of a copy of that, and that is fascinating because it's almost like it's almost like he's trying to write uh, a YA book, but yeah, failing miserably. <laughs> I just, I mean, I found the end. I, the, the, the ending was incredible. It was almost heart was was heartbreakingly beautiful as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was yeah hugely hugely admired that that book. Um, the novels, the, the thrillers he's written as Daniel Easterman can be very interesting as well. There can often be supernatural and gothicy yeah, overtones yeah. in that as well. Like I mean, uh, um, Night of the Seventh Darkness. Night of the Seventh Darkness. That's the one. That? Yeah, for me, uh, that's the Easterman that is really worth re reading. But again, so vicious, it leaves you in such a bad place. <laughs> Oh God! Yeah. I mean, um, the Ninth Buddha is uh, one that I found fascinating, um, and you know, the setting and the, the place, the time and the place it goes for. Uh, mm. no, and Name of the Beast is just extraordinary. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of, kind of prefiguring this whole idea of um, Islamic fundamentalist takeover, and yep. um, again overlapping between the political thriller and sort of the straight up gothic horror. Yeah. Um, and his prose is is marvelous, whether he's writing as Easterman or as uh, no, or that's actually true. There's, there's nothing to, nothing to be said about that. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, by the end of, um, God, what's the one uh, uh, with the blind, blind woman? Um, um. Shaitan. Um, oh, the talisman. The talisman. Yeah, the talisman. By the end is just like a series of almost poetically short curt sentences yeah and each one is like <laughs> it's like a you know like a stone going into your grave yeah oh yeah. here i am buried alive in the dark nice <laughs> he is not afraid to really really go to, to take you to very very dark places Super um, dark. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I mean, I think more than anything, um, what we're trying to say here is that James seems as though he has little application to contemporary horror, but yeah. <laughs> but really, you know, um, his the the things that James developed in his own in his own work are you know universally applicable but yeah. particularly to horror and it doesn't matter where you're writing it and it doesn't matter what era you're writing it from you know j this just this general sense of <sighs> mystery and um almost like a yearning uh which undermines this you know and and suddenly 
you know, you want to see something, you want to see something, you sort of want to see something, and then you see it, and you're like, oh my god, I wish I hadn't see, seen that. Yeah, yeah, which is very, which is a very, which is very much the child kind of response. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, there is that whole thing of, I mean, I, I am from that generation who grew up terrified of uh, of Doctor Who. That, yeah. that was uh, that that we were it, I we were in a com I was usually watching those episodes in a constant state of terror, not actually hiding behind the sofa as popular imagination has it, but at the same time you're both you you it's that it's that thing of both wanting to be there and not wanting to be there. Yeah, and what's that about? It's about belief. It's about you know being in that state, which when you think about it is a very Christian state, a state of faith, a state of you know, where uh, a suggestion of something is as good as the thing itself. Mm. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, that's not a that's not a guy dressed in garbage bags. That's an alien. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that what really, I mean, people will often joke. I mean, Doctor Who and Blake Seven, of course, was the other mm. uh, the other one where people would always joke about the low, the low budget production values. But, you know, you never. You never saw it. I never certainly for me. I never saw it that way when I was a yeah. kid. It was just, yeah, that's what the, you know, it never occurred to me that the, you know, the, the the death rays from the blasters or whatever looked didn't look like they did on Star Wars because the BBC didn't have anywhere near as much money yeah, uh, exactly. special effects. You know, it was just like no, that's just how their guns work. That's just yeah. what they're. That's just how. It, it never occurred to me that uh, the same uh, quarry was, you know, doing quintuple sextuple duty for you know like every every planet in the universe yes. <laughs> some quarry out the back <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a it's a childlike state of saying basically let's yes. pretend and i think that's one of the things that you you i mean you go through different stages don't you as a writer there is the sort of there's the sort of just having fun writing and telling stories then there's yeah. the sort of okay there's stuff that's actually I want to write about and the stuff that kind of like hits the sweet spot and then you it's like I'm very serious and I must write about the important issues of my age. and then in a way I've almost come I'm almost kind of coming full circle to well no the whole point is to get into that almost play state of yes. just yeah I, because apart from anything else I, I do tend to be of the opinion I don't know if this is the same for you that the part of my brain that does the writing is a good deal smarter than than the rest of me yeah um, I, and, I think I think that's true I mean you you know, um, when something comes together, it almost seems to come from a place of, you know, where did where did that come from? Yeah. It's it's you know it's it's like a bag of holding, you know, that suddenly materializes and you open it up and you're like, oh right, of course, that that fucking makes sense. Sure, you know, yeah, you know, that thing from when I was six. Yes. Yeah, and, it's, and, and you, 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 a lot, you know, a lot of the time you may think, oh, I'm just going to write a, you know, you know, as long as you, as long as you're going with, you know, your sort of instincts towards stuff that actually interests you to write about, and you're doing it out of, out of, you know, sort of a real, this is the kind of stuff I want to do, rather mm -hmm. than thinking, oh, I'm just going to do this because I'm going to try and grind this out, hack this out because this is what the market wants, kind of thing. Um, you have to kind of find something in that that you can in in the material that you can be excited about and actually want to do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, there's 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 usually there will usually be stuff there. There will be emotional content. There will be there will be some depth to it. There will be, I mean, I, 
I don't think I, I don't think there needs to be a sort of the idea that there needs to be a sort of a theme kind of like running through what you do and kind of like this is what it's all about kind of thing. Um, well, again, you, know. you know, again, like, you know, the idea that if somebody came to my uh, condo after I died, they'd be they'd be able to get some idea of who I was by looking at my stuff. I think that, you know, you're you will inevitably end up writing out of yourself. You will inevitably end up writing um, in a way that suggests who you are. And, you know, maybe it's a maybe it's a neurodiverse way to look at it. But, you know, it's like, um, what do we have except ourselves? What do we yeah. have except, you know, it's like I want to know, you know, it, I, I can't control anything else, but I can know myself as well as possible. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. You know. And you need to be able to do that in order to, I mean, I think John D. McDonald said it in the, the introduction uh, to Night Shift. Uh, mm -hmm. You need to be able to know yourself well enough that you can start to meet other people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Because that's how you, you work out how, that's the only way you can start to understand other people as equivalent sort of centres of consciousness, I think is the phrase. Yes. Uh, this is how. Yeah, this, Theory this, of this mind. Specific. Yeah. You know, it's like. They, they aren't all just, you know, different lobes of your brain harassing you for insane reasons. That never made any sense to me. That whole solipsism thing never made any sense to me. If, uh, if, if everything existed inside of your own consciousness, you'd be able to control it. <laughs> In theory, yeah. But then again, maybe that's just wishing that there was some kind of justice in the world. <laughs> Oh God, yeah, that is. Well, I mean, that's the one thing, thing, isn't it? When you when you're right, when when, when writing, uh, the big difference, the, the big difference between fiction and reality is fiction has to make sense, whereas reality can just be like, you know, if you there's so much stuff. You know, if I made if you made this shit up, then oh, nobody would yeah. believe you. No, exactly, you know? exactly. And you know, so much so much of it just seems to come out of a place of I opened my mouth and it came out. And then I put it into I put it into writing and made it a law. <laughs> <laughs> I, I much prefer James's world, and I think we've pretty much uh, we've pretty much gone over everything that we said we were uh, we were going to go over before we started. Um, so yeah, seems like a good place just to stop. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, and once again, we we find that, um, you know, we have to break right at the end and go, ah, we've got some stuff. We, you know, we've got some uh, new information. So a quick um, addendum, because we're to our discussions of the uh, uh, of various various Jamesians, uh, the Benson brothers, uh, just to fill out the information on them a little bit. Um, Yep, uh, their father was actually a bishop, Edward White Benson, and not just any bishop, he actually became the Archbishop of Canterbury. R.H. Benson was didn't exactly follow his father into the church because he became ordained as a Roman Catholic priest, which caused something of a flap. Just a Somewhat. <laughs> that happened. And the, the third brother was A.C. Benson. 
um, the bit of it, he's a bit of the forgotten man. His biography is a little bit thinner, really, than the other two. Simon here, just quickly recording another interjection to stop us sounding too stupid. AC Benson was not a forgotten anything. He was a highly noted educator, and among other things, uh, he also wrote the Coronation Ode for King Edward VII in 1902, which was later set to music by Sir Edward Elgar as the land of hope and glory so fair made a fairly noticeable contribution there there was also a sister margaret benson who was an author an artist and if an egyptologist of some notes who was actually considered to be more academically successful than any of her brothers but i'm gonna stop there because otherwise i'm gonna have to keep on interpolating little amendments to this for forever and a day so anyway back to the benson brothers as regards the sexuality of the benson brothers i've couldn't find anything that leapt out and smacked me in the eye, as it were, about AC. Um, E.F. Benson was definitely gay. Very, yeah. very gay. Uh, very discreet about it, but he not not as uh, not to the not to the point where, as with James, his sex life becomes entirely a matter of speculation. We know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, thinking about it, I I think James was just as likely ace um, yeah. and homosocial, you know, as one would yeah. be if one essentially you know as we said grew up in uh an all-boys school system and liked it so much that you stayed there the rest of your life yeah. in the cloister rather than in the closet as it exactly were. um incidentally after um regarding rh benson the the one who became a catholic priest um as far as i mean again there's no clint there's no sort of um i don't, I, don't, I, haven't, I couldn't find any sort of compelling information evidence regarding his sexuality however um he always he always found the idea of getting married completely incomprehensible not that that necessarily means everything but a among his close friends when he was younger uh was Frederick Rolf aka Baron Corvo who was incredibly gay very very gay they were actually going to collaborate on a biography of um somebody another quick interjection it was Thomas Beckett until um, he decided he should, quote, not be associated with a Venetian pimp and procurer of young boys. Guy didn't yeah. know how to have fun, yeah. clearly. Um, <laughs> and he was also good friends with with, with Arthur Doug with uh, Alfred Douglas, Bosey Douglas. Um, I think this was uh, before the huge, maybe before the big scandal. Um, that's quite, of course, because Douglas was very much, very much went to be the sort of the ex being, a, a, no, I'm an ex-gay, I was corrupted by that awful Oscar Wilde kind yeah. of thing, being mm. a complete prick. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, you know, the, the complete prickness seems to have been you know, there throughout his life, let's put it that way. Oh yeah, he was also a confirmed anti-Semite and um, uh, I think kind of uh, moved towards, yeah. uh, towards uh, sort of uh, fascism in his... Uh, uh, in his later years, although of course he may have decided, he may have, depending on how long he lived, he was quite quite the somewhat vicar of Bray-like in the uh, in his uh, yeah. when it came to uh, social, what, you know, social what was in and out socially. Um, but anyway, that's what we know about um, about the Benson Bros. Um, and so sorry to AC for forgetting your name. Um, yeah, just, <laughs> it's hard. It's it's really hard. It's particularly hard when people only go by their initials. I know. It gets really confusing after a while. Yeah, and and none of them are women. <laughs> it's like you understand it when it's women. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> but no, I swear, it's like... 
spare a thought for Monday. I mean, I mean, having the initials ANL these days is just going to cause nothing but giggles. Um, with it is good, true. Good types like me. Um, <laughs> At any rate, so <laughs> that's the Vincents. <laughs> so that's the Vincents. Um, yeah, and all of them have their good points. All of them have uh, at least one or two stories which are absolutely worth your time. And I got to say, Ben, E.F. Benson has more than one or two. Um, yeah, I, mean, I haven't read that many of them. The few I have, I mean, this is Amworth. And one of the ones that really made an impression was Negotio Perambulance. Oh, yeah. Which something with very, you know, there's again, there's very homoerotic kind of subtexts at play yes. in that thing, even before the the sort of thing like a big phallic slug comes kind of... Um, <laughs> And sucks all your bones out. Yeah. <laughs> sucks it. I guess gives being sucked off a whole uh, a whole new and quite disturbing meaning, really. Uh, um, <laughs> there's, you know, it's like, and and in all three, there's this real sense of, um, I mean, obviously, uh, with more religious lashings. Um, with the other two, but even in E.F. Benson, there is this real sense that um, moral degeneration is something that you got to watch out for because yeah. it will literally get a hold of you and change you into um, something you won't want to look at in the mirror. Um, yeah. You know, a very Victorian sentiment for a bunch of Edwardians, but at the same time, um, interesting when you compare it to um, when you when you compare it with James and his own um, obvious religious leanings, but um, slightly more. Mm, I don't know. You know, it's like slightly less blamey, <laughs> slightly less yeah. blamey shame. <laughs> but you can understand, yeah. I mean, with 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 E.F. Benson, given that he was he was gay, he was quite aware of his sexual actuality mm -hmm. as far as we can I think I think he did have, have a number of um, of relationships with other men. Um, mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't he wasn't in denial of anything of that nature, but at the same time, of course, he was, albeit the old the Edwardians were a little bit there was a bit somewhat still somewhat more a little bit more relaxed. Yeah. He was it was still quite an oppressive society. And his father and his father was an was the was the was an archbishop. Yeah um, archbishop of Canterbury. You know, I mean you can't get away from that really. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah. the church. I mean, they still had a long way to go when it came to. Uh, I think when it uh, when it came to attitudes towards gayness. So it was yeah. going to be. So, yeah, there's going to be stuff like that, um, and uh, as usual, um, as we go into discussing the Jamesians, um, remember that these are old stories, and so you're going to run across stuff that you're not going to like very much. Be yes. it lack of women or lack of um, people who are anything other than <laughs> sons of the Archbishop of Canterbury or, you know, um, <laughs> people who, uh, uh, you know, people who live at a boys school for the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who are anything resembling sympathetic. I mean, you know. These these are people for whom uh, you know Irish people are kind of suspect. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Listen, it has to be noted, um, but I think that you can get something out of studying uh, older stuff as well as 
more recent stuff, even if it's yeah. just the urge to go, you know, that was good. That part I hate. Let me do something with it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I don't know about you. I've had quite I've written quite a few things which were kind of trying to flip some um, some sort of uh, trope or or yeah. paradigm. Yeah. in old stories which was kind of like wait a minute i don't like that that's yeah exactly and you know and and, and beautifully so so everyone listening i hope you enjoyed all that uh do you what do you think of what we've been talking about are there any any writers uh past or contemporary that we've that we've missed uh probably many 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 <laughs> yes they usually yes. are they usually i'll be sure to leave uh any thoughts feelings reactions in uh the appropriate comments below we hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, please hit the like and share buttons, and you can find us on YouTube, Stitcher, Anchor, and SoundCloud. And if you want to support the podcast, you can always make a one-off donation over at our Ko-fi page or subscribe on our Patreon for access to exclusive content and get the heads up on what's coming next by finding us on Twitter or checking out our website at nodarknessbatars.wixsite.com slash podcast. Okay. Don't. <laughs> if they say no digging here, don't dig here. Yes. <laughs> don't, All right. don't go sticking your tool into the wrong place. It's Damn really... it. <laughs> We've really got to stop this. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I have been Simon Bestwick, and. And I have been Gemma Files, and this has been No Darkness, no darkness. But Ours. Yes. <laughs>